This evening, I'd like to explore a little bit more around the topic of feeling tone that Greg and Jaya spoke to the last couple of days. It is such an important area of our practice, of our awareness. It's, it's uh, as, as Greg mentioned, the exploration of this quality of whether experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So important that the Buddha put it into its own foundation in terms of the four foundations of mindfulness, really highlighting its importance in our understanding. It's, it comes up a lot in the teachings, being aware of and understanding the nature of feeling tone. And a part of the reason for that is because when we are motivated, I'd say, by our habitual tendencies, when our beliefs, when our belief structure is Um, oriented around believing that when we get things that are pleasant we'll be happy. When we get rid of things that are unpleasant we'll be happy. This is a fundamental, very human belief structure. And when we are oriented in that way we act. Basically what happens is that the craving that Jaya spoke about last night arises in dependence on feeling tone. That when something is pleasant and this belief structure is in place that getting something that's pleasant will make me happy. Craving arises. And when something is unpleasant and this belief structure is in place then craving will arise that leads us towards aversion. And this mechanism of how our suffering begins, our suffering arises with this underlying belief structure, which is this belief structure around having pleasant things will make me happy, getting rid of unpleasant things will make me happy, is a fundamental delusion that we tend to share as human beings. And so that ignorance, that uh, delusion is often an unseen motivating force that leads pleasant on to liking to wanting to greed, leads unpleasant on to not liking, to not wanting, to wanting to get rid of, to aversion. And so the, the, the beginning to be explore the feeling tone itself helps us to see this pattern of how the mind moves in this direction and also begins to help us see something about that underlying belief system. And so I'm going to read what, what Greg read the other day, the beginning of the section on the Satipatthana Sutta. And how does one abide contemplating feelings as feelings? Here, when feeling a pleasant feeling, one understands, I feel a pleasant feeling. 
When feeling an unpleasant feeling, one understands, I feel an unpleasant feeling. When feeling a neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling, one understands, I feel a neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling. It's so simple. It sounds simple. It's actually not that simple. But the encouragement, the encouragement here is not, oh, something pleasant's happening, hold on to it. Or something's unpleasant ha- is happening, pushing away, push it away, or figure out how to get rid of it. But rather just this very simple, non-judgmental awareness. This is what we've been, been practicing with. This simple, receptive awareness. This is what's happening in this moment. The Satipatthana Sutta as a whole has this flavor of just noticing this is what's happening right now. And so, so it is with the feeling tone. So this feeling tone can be kind of subtle sometimes. Sometimes it's more obvious if we, if we fall down and um, um, bruise our knee, the unpleasantness of that can be kind of obvious. But we may not be so oriented towards the simple unpleasantness of it. We're probably more interested in telling stories about this. In kind of figuring out what I need to do about this rather than kind of just recognizing, oh, this is unpleasant. And not to say that figuring out what we need to do when we've fallen down and bruised our knee is not useful and necessary. But we often kind of skip over the actual experience of the unpleasantness and start reacting to it. Again, in this, because of this underlying belief structure, this unpleasant thing is a problem, this unpleasant thing is, is something I need to get rid of, how am I gonna do that? And so in terms of beginning to understand this, this pattern, this kind of pattern, the underlying belief structure and the, that kind of movement from feeling to craving where craving, as Jaya pointed to last night, is already suffering. Often we don't quite notice that in the moment, but already, as soon as craving springs up, as soon as that wanting something, we want something that's not here, we want to get rid of something that is here, there's some imbalance. We are not simply recognizing the unpleasantness or the pleasantness of the experience. And so beginning to get familiar with feeling tone can help us to see these patterns and see how the the habitual movement of our minds leads us from feeling to craving. So as Greg mentioned the other day, feeling is arising with every single sense contact, every single sight, sound, smell, taste, touch sensation, everything arising in our mind has a feeling tone. It's a basic aspect of human experience and it's conditioned. The, the texts tell us that dependent on the eye and sight, Eye consciousness arises, the meeting of the three is contact. 
And then, then there's feeling. Feeling and perception arise. With contact as condition, there is feeling. With every sense base, with, when there's contact with that sense base, that sensitivity that Greg pointed to, when there's contact with that sensitivity, feeling is there. And yet so often we don't notice it. We don't see the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral aspect of experience because our habit is to kind of try to arrange the world around the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And we're, we're more in our mind um, reflecting on or thinking about or kind of in the, in the world. We've kind of taken birth in the world of what it's going to be like either when I get that thing or when I get rid of that thing rather than really being aware of what is this experience? What is this experience of pleasant or unpleasant? And so we kind of automatically, we tend to habitually and automatically react to feeling because of this underlying belief structure. And but we don't really notice it. So this feeling tone, as I said, this tends to be where the the reactivity is born when we have this this ignorance or this delusion underlying our minds. And we all have this. You're not... uh, It's not like some uh, unique thing to you if you find that you tend to shift from pleasant to greed, unpleasant to aversion. It's very human. This morning, I was speaking about intention and how those intentions are connected with with motivation. And these um, responses to feeling whether we like it, we want more of it, we don't like it, we, don't, we, we want to get rid of it. That's a very um, um, commonplace. That's where often our motivations arise from, is not clearly seeing the feeling tone. Instead being motivated by this underlying view or belief, need to get, need to get rid of. So the Buddha pointed out that this habitual movement, let's say the habitual way that we tend to respond to feeling tone is not necessary, it's optional. And he described this in a sutta, he basically said, at the beginning of this text, he said, so people who, ordinary people, the translation here is the uninstructed worldling, the uninstructed worldling feels things that are pleasant, feels things that are unpleasant, and feels things that are neutral. And then he says, And so too does an instructed 
noble disciple. Someone who is fully awakened will experience things that are pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So right there, there goes the belief, there goes the, pops the bubble. If we get fully awakened, everything will be pleasant. He says right here, people who are awakened will experience pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experience. But then he goes on to say, what's the difference? And basically the difference here that he describes is that when he describes this, he says, well, for a, an uninstructed worldly, for, worldling, for an ordinary person, when a pleasant feeling arises, they want more of it. They gravitate to it. That there's desire that springs up for it. Craving arises. When an unpleasant experience arises, there is aversion that springs up in relationship to it. He gives an analogy for unpleasant. He says, when an uninstructed worldling is contacted by a painful feeling, they sorrow, grieve, and lament. They weep, beating their breast, and become distraught. They feel two feelings, a bodily one and a mental one. Suppose one were to strike a person with a dart and then strike them afterwards immediately with a second dart that person would feel a feeling caused by two darts. So too, when the uninstructed worldling is being contacted by a painful feeling, they feel two feelings, a bodily feeling and a mental one. And this is what happens to us a lot, especially around painful feeling. Unpleasant sensation arises and aversion arises. We don't like it. We sorrow, grieve, lament, weep, beating our breast and become distraught. And it says here, we feel two feelings, a bodily one and a mental one. But my experience is kind of more like it's, it's not just like they've added together, like it's two feelings added together. It's more like it's multiplied. Because it's like this, this feedback loop like you take a microphone and put it up to a speaker and the, the volume just goes crazy. It gets really loud because of that feedback loop. It's kind of like that with unpleasant feeling. When we experience an unpleasant feeling and there's aversion, then our experience of the unpleasant feeling gets more painful, which creates more aversion, which makes us feel more pain, which makes us feel more aversion, and it just feedback. It's a feedback loop. That's a very common pattern. When we're not able to be mindful of either the unpleasant feeling or the aversion, that kind of cycle will tend to happen. And the Buddha goes on to describe what happens when an an instructed noble disciple is contacted by a painful feeling. It says, they do not sorrow, grieve, or lament. They do not weep, beating their breast and become distraught. They feel one feeling, a bodily feeling, not a mental one. Suppose one were to strike a person with a dart, but not strike them immediately afterwards with a second dart. So that person would feel a feeling caused by one dart only. 
So too, when the instructed noble disciple is contacted by a painful feeling, they feel one feeling, a bodily one, not a mental one. And so this really points to the possibility through instruction, through training, through practice, through the work that we are doing of transforming our relationship to feeling. Basically, it's kind of touching into that underlying belief structure that through witnessing feelings, seeing the reaction to feelings, seeing how this plays out over and over again, we begin to understand that the, that the movement towards pleasant, the movement away, the greed, the aversion, are not very useful. Greed has its delusion embedded in it. When we are caught in the mind state of greed, the delusion that's embedded in greed, the greed itself is the wanting something pleasant, but the delusion embedded in greed is the having that thing will make me happy. Having that pleasant thing will make me happy. And when we're caught in the mind state of of greed, we are buying that belief. We are caught by that delusion. And so the mind tends to orient towards greed in relationship to pleasant. Similarly with the aversion. There's a delusion embedded in aversion that says getting rid of that unpleasant experience will make me happy. And so the, the feeling when that belief is there, it's like when that, when that belief system is, be, is, is in place, then feeling just so naturally, it's like a springboard. We leap right from feeling into craving. But as we begin to explore feeling, begin to get curious about the experience itself, start seeing how this process unfolds, that belief structure begins to weaken some. And we can also in that moment kind of just be with, oh, this is feeling. This is the feeling that's happening. And sometimes the clear mindfulness of it can kind of short circuit our habitual movement into craving. And we get a taste of the possibility that it's not necessary to follow through on that belief. So this leaping off of feeling into craving, very human, natural kind of movement. It's almost, it's almost in a, almost an organic kind of response. Even single-celled organisms move towards pleasant, move towards food away from noxious chemicals in the environment. It's a very natural movement. And yet this, this movement towards pleasant away from unpleasant and the mind states that are motivating it 
the mind states of greed and aversion are the are really the um, where the suffering is in the craving. That's where the suffering is. The suffering isn't in the pleasant or unpleasant or in responding to pleasant or unpleasant based on compassion or kindness or wisdom. Because we can, in seeing pleasant experience, understand a skillful response. And so this isn't about kind of just sitting here and being a lump on a log. But it is about noticing the habitual response of greed and aversion. And recognizing the suffering that's found there. So the feeling tone experienced both around bodily feeling and mental feeling. So all physical contacts have a feeling tone and all mental contacts have a feeling tone. Both of these feeling kinds of feeling tone, those connected with physical experience, those connected with our sense impressions, and those connected with the mind, they're all, all of the feeling tones are mind-created. That can be a little hard to understand in the realm of physical sense experience. It seems as though, you know, certain kinds of contact would be inherently, are inherently, um, you know, so it's a phys- it feels like it's physically unpleasant or physically pleasant. And so it may be a little hard to, to understand that part. But I will say that um, I read a recent report of a study that um, corroborates this. That feeling tone, even physical feeling tone, physical unpleasant sensation, for example, is a mental experience. So I'll read pieces of this uh, article. Pain isn't always a pain. Sometimes it can actually feel good. People experienced pleasure during a painful stimulus if the stimulus turned out to be less bad than they were expecting. The researcher said, it's not hard to understand that pain can be interpreted as less severe when an individual is aware that it could have been more painful. Less expected was the discovery that pain may be experienced as pleasant if something worse has been avoided. To see how people perceived pain, researchers hooked participants up to a device that applied variable levels of painful heat to their arms. At the same time, researchers measured their brain activity using magnetic resonance imaging scans. In the first scenario, participants either experienced a series of slightly or moderately painful stimulus, about as painful as grasping a slightly too hot cup of coffee, or no pain. In this scenario, participants rated that painful experience of touching, you know, that that warm contact, they rated it as unpleasant. They described the experience as unpleasant. In the second scenario, the participants experienced either a series of that moderate pain or a more intense pain. On a screen, they were warned which kind of pain was coming. 
and what they noticed, so that the moderate pain was the same as the moderate pain in the first experience that they rated as unpleasant. The participants rated the moderate pain as pleasurable in the second scenario, when the alternative was the intense pain. During the moderate stimulus in the second setup, participants' brain activity also showed less activation in the pain region of the brain and more activation in the region that's associated with pain relief and pleasure. So not only was it their report, the brain felt it as pleasurable. The researcher said the likely explanation is that the subjects were prepared for the worst and thus felt relieved when they realized the pain was not going to be as bad as they had feared. And so mental conditions, expectations, can condition how the pain is felt, how that stimulus, how that stimulus is felt. The experience of that stimulus, whether painful or pleasant, same measure, measurably the same level of heat, same level of pain, quote, pain applied, to the arm, different experience. The feeling tone, as Greg pointed out the other day, the feeling tone of experience is not in the object. It's in our experience. It's created by our mind and is often created based on expectations, views, ideas, beliefs, It's not as simple as that thing is always pleasant. That thing is always unpleasant. And so getting familiar with feeling tone, it's really helpful in terms of exploring this process of the mind that reacts to feeling tone, to begin to get familiar with the feeling tone itself because we so quickly react to it. And so exploring it in, in sitting, in walking, in, in our daily activities. When there's a, you know, we can, we can begin to recognize that certain sensations are unpleasant. We may, we may simply notice something as, for instance, an itch but not really notice the quality of the itch and the unpleasantness of the itch and what happens to that unpleasantness. When I've really explored what an itch is, it's kind of got a zing quality to it. It's like one little tiny spot on the skin and it zings and then it stops. And then it zings again and then it stops. And so the unpleasantness of it feels unpleasant in that moment the unpleasant of it comes and goes. Likewise with pain, often, there's a kind of a, a shifting landscape in pain, different sensations arising and passing. And we kind of create a whole block around it. We look at it as being one solid thing. But then if we start to be curious about, well, how, what's unpleasant here? Are these sensations unpleasant? Sometimes we actually find that certain sensations of pain even, in our sitting. It's not so much that the pain itself, maybe there's a little twinge in the knee, 
And this is where that pattern of reactivity we can learn from. So if we, if we notice the unpleasantness of it, maybe we notice actually that it's not so unpleasant right now, in this moment. But what our mind has done has picked up the rest of the sitting and projected the entire sitting where that pain is getting steadily worse, and that's what we're reacting to. And so being curious about what actually is the sensation and how, what is the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality of it. We can notice pleasantness in our sitting, physical pleasantness of the breathing, perhaps. The feeling tone is most easily seen at first, I think, in the physical realm, in the physical sense realm. Our, our, t- our skin in particular, our touch sense in particular, seems very attuned to this quality of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So it's a really easy place to begin to explore it, to really recognize it. Playing with it in our daily activities, in our yogi jobs, in, our, in, in eating, just kind of seeing there's kind of this steady stream. Every single experience has pleasant, unpleasant, neutral qualities to it. And we can begin to be curious about that flow of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Washing your dishes, you know, maybe we have the idea of that as an unpleasant thing, but as you're standing in line, noticing, well, what's unpleasant here? Is the actual standing unpleasant? Maybe there's a little ache in the back that's unpleasant. Okay, so that's unpleasant. And then you get up to the, to the place where you're actually washing the dishes and maybe you put your hands in the water and it feels warm. Maybe it's a fresh thing of water and the, the experience is actually pleasant, putting your hands in the water. So just seeing how this flow, pleasant, unpleasant, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. We can begin to see that. If we see that, then we may not immediately leap to the reactivity to it. And in this exploration, it's really helpful and somewhat interesting, I think, to begin to notice what our habitual responses to feeling tone are. We may have some somewhat, somewhat different responses at different times. And different people, for instance, may have um, kind of more habitual relationships to pleasant and unpleasant kind of, for me, for instance, when I experience something unpleasant. I would get stuck to that unpleasant thing, trying to push it away. It would be like I was glued to that unpleasant thing, trying to figure out how do I get rid of this? What do I need to change? What do I have to do? What do I have to figure out here? So it would be, there would be a stuckness to the unpleasant thing. The aversion was experienced as being stuck to that unpleasant thing. A friend of mine said, Gee, when I experience something unpleasant, immediately my mind goes, oh, let me find something pleasant. It just, it unsticks from the unpleasant and just like goes to greed immediately. It it starts searching for something pleasant. That's a different strategy. Ignore the unpleasant, find something pleasant. I just like, don't look at that elephant in the room. 
And so we can begin to see what our habitual strategies are for being with feeling tone. And then the feeling associated with the mental experience. This, this sometimes can be more subtle, although, although certain kinds of feeling associated with mind states, for instance, happiness, we tend to recognize as a pleasant experience. Anger, often unpleasant. Fear, often unpleasant. Calm and ease may be pleasant to maybe somewhat neutral even. A little less of a sense of an obvious feeling tone with ease. So everything in our mind, all arisings in our mind have a feeling tone. It can be interesting also to explore both in, in um, physical feeling and in mental feeling, how feeling tends to change over the experience of it. Sometimes this can be surprising. At one point I began to notice, I was curious about the feeling tone connected with anger on one retreat. I was experiencing tremendous amount of anger. And so I got very familiar with it. And was pretty much noticing the unpleasantness of it. But then one time, at one point, I began really seeing just the very beginning, just the very beginnings of the arising of anger. And to my surprise, it was really pleasant. It was just this beginning, a sense of like warmth and fullness and power. And it was, it was a sense of, of aliveness that quickly flipped into pressure and heat and unpleasant. But it was so interesting to see how the feeling tone, it was like that feeling tone at the beginning, my, my mind was kind of like recognizing, wow, that may be some of the hook to anger, is that initial feeling of aliveness and power that quickly flipped. So we can start to see this. So not only do emotions have feeling tone, but also thoughts can have a feeling tone. Often thoughts may have a feeling tone based on an emotion that they're connected with. So for instance, a thought, something like, that person doesn't like me. The thought itself might just be a neutral thing if it's just... There, was, there were certain points in my, in my meditation where I saw certain thoughts that were very habitually experienced as unpleasant. At one point, I came on retreat right after the, um, the Twin Towers attacks. And on retreat, there was a lot of images from that, from that, uh, experience, from that situation coming up in my meditation. And... Uh, Typically, the experience was unpleasant. And yet, at a certain point, the mind, in seeing some of those images, just saw them as images. 
That felt a little odd because it just, there was like there was no, there was no feeling tone. It was just neutral. It was not neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And it felt a little odd to have that content not be, not be uh, landing in a way. But then, in a few more moments, there was the recognition of the meaning of those images, and the. Uh, emotional response was not that of aversion but really of compassion. So the image itself still didn't have a flavor of pleasant or unpleasant but the meaning of the image was touching the heart with the recognition of suffering and compassion. And so thoughts may have Thoughts themselves can be kind of neutral, but then they quickly bring in emotional tones, beliefs and views that have feelings. So the thought that somebody doesn't like me, we might have a feeling of rejection that, that feels unpleasant. And this points to something really important about feeling tone. Beliefs, views, thoughts are a primary shaper of feeling tone. What we believe, what we think about, that shapes how we receive experiences, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. In fact, the, um, uh, the commentaries to the Abhidhamma have a teaching around feeling tone that's, I don't know if I believe it actually, but I found it really interesting to hold as a question. So the the Abhidhamma commentary says that in terms of our physical senses, that the touch sense of our skin can be pleasant or unpleasant. That it's just very attuned to that pleasant, unpleasant quality. Our other four physical senses seeing, smelling, hearing, and tasting. The Abhidhamma commentary says that the contact, the initial contact is neutral. That any pleasant or unpleasant experience we have in those other four physical senses is a result of something going on in our minds. Some view, some belief. We might be able to touch into this around seeing I mean, we, we um, go outside perhaps and see a beautiful flower. These flowers, I was appreciating these flowers. They're beautiful. And the, the, the sense of them is as pleasant. The, the beauty and the pleasure of that. But what's happening really at the first contact there is that there's just color and form in the eye. Very occasionally in my meditation, I've looked out of a window or something, and there's been no objects. It's just been color and form. It's neutral. Color and form is neutral. It's when they become objects, when we see them as things that we have associations with. I have associations with flowers is beautiful. Some flowers is beautiful. There's a flower that sometimes is is in some of these meditation halls that has a very strong scent that is very hard for me to be near, and I see that flower, and it's not so pleasant. 
because of that association. And so this curiosity around exploring, so this, is, this has been a big part of my own practice, is kind of curiosity around exploring. When there is something that, uh, experience in the physical realm that I'm taking to be uh, unpleasant or pleasant, I get kind of curious about it. Where is the pleasantness actually? Where is the unpleasantness? So this is going to be a very interesting exploration. One night I was having difficulty sleeping and uh, I often, when I'm having difficulty sleeping, will just meditate. And so this evening, that evening, I, I got up to sit in the middle of the night and um, was sitting there and just being aware of my experience and there was this this quiet little tapping, kind of tapping, scratching sound that came and went. And when I noticed, heard that tapping or kind of scratching sound, my experience was, I don't like that. It's like, okay, well, okay, unpleasant. That tapping sound is unpleasant. And for a while I just worked at it, looked at it that way. Unpleasant sound is happening. And just exploring it more, continuing to explore it, as I looked at the experience, when that tapping sound happened, I noticed there was tension in the body. Like, okay, well, that tap, the tension is not the tapping sound. The tension is unpleasant too. At that point, there was still the sense of the, the tapping being unpleasant, the tension being unpleasant. Then at some point in hearing the tapping sound, this went on probably, you know, 30, 40 minutes, coming and going, this sound. And um, at some point hearing that tapping sound, there was just a quick, like, rush of fear through the body. And that was kind of, wow, I hadn't seen that actually before. I hadn't seen that there was just this subtle of fear that had flushed through the body. The fear was clearly unpleasant. And as I began to notice then the fear with clarity, the next time the tapping sound happened, I realized that the tapping sound itself was neutral. That the fear, the experience of the fear had kind of imputed or put its unpleasantness into the sound. This kind of thing happens a lot in our experience. Again, it's very similar to that. The expectation of something being more unpleasant creates conditions for it to be experienced as pleasant. So the state of our mind will affect the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral quality. And so curiosity about when you're experiencing a reactivity, if there's a persistent reactivity, for instance, a persistent aversion, it can be really useful to explore what is actually unpleasant here or pleasant. What is the mind actually reacting to? What is it responding to? most of our reactivity actually comes off of mental thoughts, beliefs, views. That the, the, a mental unpleasantness 
rather than a physical unpleasantness. Now, in terms of the touch sense, that's not necessarily as much the case. Again, you fall down, you hurt your knee, you cut yourself with a knife. There is physical unpleasant sensation there. But a lot of what we react to is, oh, what am I going to do? I've cut cut myself with a knife. So begin to be curious about it. If you're experiencing a reactivity, in particular, Carol Wilson gave the instruction, if you're experiencing aversion, there's some unpleasant experience you didn't notice. So what is it? What was that unpleasant experience? What is the experience? What is the unpleasantness there? Sometimes it can be surprising. You know, if you're, if you're um, hearing somebody rustle in the hall and you're experiencing that as unpleasant, it's probably not the sound itself that's actually unpleasant. It's more likely to be an idea about somebody's disturbing my practice. So that curiosity of what actually is happening here. On one, um, at one point, after I'd heard Carol give this instruction about um, if something, if you're, if you're noticing a reactivity, there's something unpleasant that you've missed. Um, I was doing some walking meditation in the upper walking room here. And um, it was a pretty full room. It was pretty crowded. And uh, I tended to, I was noticing a lot of unpleasant and a lot of aversion in walking meditation in general. So this was not an uncommon experience for me. And so as I was doing the walking meditation and kind of feeling like I've got a pretty narrow lane here, but, you know, pretty okay with this, somebody else came into the room and started walking next to me. It's like... I got even more squished. And boy, the aversion went through the roof. Remembering Carol's instruction, I got curious. Okay, what is unpleasant here? And I cycled through the senses. It was pretty clear. Okay, there's no physical contact. It's not physical unpleasant. Okay, check. That one's not not the one. They weren't making sound. It wasn't unpleasant sound. There was no unpleasant smell. Um... The taste was not an issue. Um, So I went through all the physical senses and realized, okay, it's not in the physical realm. There must be something going on in the mind. And so I didn't see anything in particular that was unpleasant in the mind um, that I was averse to. I just felt like averse there. And so I was just walking back and forth and... um, was just kind of keeping my mind attuned to what's going on in the mind. And then I I saw a thought. And the thought was, they're weird. (laughs) And I kind of was like, huh, well, there's a thought. I still didn't quite get it, you know. It's like I didn't quite see the connection between that thought and the aversion yet. Um... And then there was this, the next pass, the next pass through, there was this explosion of a thought was, they've got bare feet and it's freezing cold out. And that was my mind's justification for their weird, (laughs) was that they were in bare feet and it was cold out, cold to me, you know, my experience was cold. 
And so in that moment, the recognition, so that seeing of that explosive thought helped me to see in that moment that there was reaction to the thought, he's weird. There was fear about he's weird. And that the fear was what was unpleasant. And that that whole complex of, of reaction was based in they've got bare feet. And the mind just saw it was ludicrous. It was just, there was not really a basis for the, the reactivity once it was seen. Once it was seen, then the next pass in walking meditation, it's just this well-wishing. May you be happy. I didn't try to do that. It's just that's what happened. And so this, this exploration around feeling tone can help us to see how this whole complex of reactivity happens. And then the the second part of this um, sutta talks about a different aspect of feeling tone. He uses a kind of funny word for us. He talks about worldly pleasant and unpleasant and neutral and unworldly pleasant, unpleasant and neutral. And so it says, when feeling a worldly pleasant feeling, one understands. I feel a worldly pleasant feeling, etc. When feeling an unworldly pleasant feeling, one understands. I feel an unworldly pleasant experience. And so what is this worldly, unworldly? The word for that's being translated as worldly is saramisa, samisa, which means basically means something like connected to the flesh. And so this is um, this is kind of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral experience connected to our sense the sense realm the unworldly sometimes the the worldly is the the samisa is translated as worldly sometimes it's translated as of the flesh or carnal sometimes it's translated as not connected to the path or it's pointing to it's it's pointed to by some translators as the the um, the worldly kind of pleasure is our ordinary kind of pleasure, and the unworldly kind of pleasure, niramisa, often translated as spiritual or connected to the path. These are these are um, feeling tones that come about as we practice that tend to be connected to the path of practice. And so the Buddha is pointing to the usefulness of understanding the difference between feeling tones that are ordinary, related to sense experience, and feeling tones that are related to practice. This was a major understanding in his own practice at one point early in his in his um in, in the night that he that he um 
sat down under the rose apple tree and remembered, he remembered back to states of concentration that he had spontaneously entered into as a child. And he had been practicing a lot of um, ascetic practices at that time, basically believing that the unpleasant experience would support the mind to let go of the body in some way. And that night he remembered those states of pleasurable concentration that had spontaneously risen when I was, he was a child. And he is said to have thought, why am I afraid of that pleasure? Which is not connected with this, this movement towards grasping. You know, why am I afraid of that pleasure that's connected with concentration? And then he is said to have, have asked the question, is, I wonder if this, maybe this way, this kind of pleasure, this kind of happiness, maybe that's part of the path. And in that reflection, he's said to have realized, yes, this is part of the path. This kind of happiness and pleasure is part of the practice, part of the path. And so that completely shifted how he practiced, began Um, being curious about this distinction between these different kinds of feeling tone. And so this was an important understanding in his own practice. I think that's why he puts it in here, this understanding the difference between these two. And so um, the, the... ordinary, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feelings connected with sense impressions, connected with bodily sensation of the, you know, just the ordinary kind sense contact. This will include thoughts that relate to sense contact. So the taste of a meal may have pleasant, unpleasant, neutral sensations to it. The thought of a taste of a meal may have pleasant, unpleasant, neutral sensations to it. That is also the same kind of worldly pleasure. Now again, he's pointing to a distinction of this, you know, the kind of pleasure that is worth kind of moving towards or the the kind of feeling tones that help us to kind of recognize, am I in the direction of the path or am I getting caught in more ordinary kinds of pleasure? And yet the instructions are still very simple. They are just notice. Is the pleasure worldly pleasure? Worldly pain? Worldly unpleasant? Is, the, is, the, is it unworldly pleasure? Unworldly pain? Just noticing that distinction. And so this unworldly pleasure really is the the pleasure that is associated with the path of practice, states of concentration, insight, the happiness of giving, the pleasure that comes with knowing that you're engaged in ethical conduct. There's delight and joy that arises as you realize that the, that the heart is, is aligned with ethical conduct. There's a, 
the pleasure of being present. This one can be kind of interesting. It can be, it can be so similar sometimes too. Um, we, might, we might confuse it or mistake it for the pleasure of sense pleasure. You, uh, uh, as the mind gets more present and aware, you know, we can go outside and, and it's like, everything is like sparkly sometimes, really beautiful, very pleasant experience. We might think that's the worldly pleasant, the pleasure of the sense, the senses. But I think it's more connected to the pleasure of being present. Because in that state, we can look down at an oil stain on the driveway and be like, wow, that's amazing. And so it's, it's really, there's a difference, that pleasure of being present and available for what's, what's arising. And then there's the pleasure that comes with concentration and the pleasure that comes with insight. You know, we can be noticing aversion, being with physical unpleasant experience and, and having a kind of a delight of the seeing of it. Have you seen that? Sometimes we can see that. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting to, to have this experience both of, wow, there's aversion happening, and yet, wow, it's so cool to see it. There's a space around it. There's a sense of delight in the engagement, in the practice. And so this is the kind of pleasure that comes with the path of practice, which the Buddha said is, it's not the kind of pleasure that we need to be um, afraid of. We don't need to be afraid of any pleasure as long as we're mindful of it, actually. One thing just to point to, just quickly, because I've been kind of emphasizing the pleasure, the, un- the unworldly pleasure and there's, there's, there's a lot of that that does happen for us as the mind settles, as there's connection with experience, the concentration develops, the, the mind can move into a lot of states of happiness, of ease and bliss. And yet, unworldly feelings are not always only pleasant. There's one text that describes in particular around seeing the impermanent nature of experience. How that, depending on what's happening, depending on how the mind is meeting it, sometimes, let's see if I can refine this and read this to you. It's interesting. When... When recognizing the impermanence, change, fading away of sense experience, one sees as it actually is with proper wisdom that sense impression formally and now are all impermanent, joy arises. That's pleasantness arising with the recognition of impermanence. And sometimes we can have that, the sense of seeing the arising and passing of experience and very joyful. Other times, 
when recognizing the impermanence, change, fading away of sense experience, one actually sees as it actually one sees as it actually is with proper wisdom that sense impression, formerly and now, are all impermanent. One generates a longing for supreme liberation. There's a kind of a disenchantment with with sense impressions. This experience can be felt as unpleasant. And when recognizing the impermanence, change, fading away of sense experience, one sees as it actually is with proper wisdom that sense impression formerly and now are all impermanent. Equanimity arises. Equanimity does have a kind of a neutral feeling tone. And so these, this, is, this is pointing to the qualities of unworldly, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experience. And through all of this, the Satipatthana Sutta suggests simply to recognize what kind of feeling is happening. Simple. When it's a worldly pleasant feeling, we know it's a worldly pleasant feeling. No judgment around it in the Satipatthana Sutta. And in fact, elsewhere in the text, it clearly says that clearly comprehending feeling of any kind, worldly or unworldly, is liberative. Leads us to being able to understand and let go of the ways that our mind clings. And so the simplicity of this practice of noticing the feeling tone and seeing all of the ways that the mind creates reactions, responses to the feeling tone. This is such a crucial process to see. in terms of helping us to understand how suffering comes to be. And what we see is that that response to feeling tone is created by our own minds. It's optional. It is a construct of our own minds that we react. It's, it's motivated by that underlying belief. But when we begin to see through that underlying belief that having to get Pleasant, needing to get rid of unpleasant is the way to go. We, we, we see that that's just delusion. We see that the whole of our suffering has been constructed. The mental reactivity has been constructed by our minds. The mind starts to let go of it. Letting go of that, sh- that movement from feeling to craving. And so the craving releases. And then we are in a position to respond with wisdom, with compassion, with love, with generosity to what's happening. Not be in a reactive mode, but a responsive mode. So let's just sit for a moment.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.